We're very excited tonight to do something very special and to have a witness talk in honor of someone very special. Sister Mary Jo Selinski um, is celebrating her 60th Jubilee this year. Unbelievable. What a beautiful journey that has been for her. And she is going to share some of her memories and her journey with you this evening. So before we begin, if we could just open tonight with a prayer. So if we can just sort of close our eyes and just take a moment. As we silence our hearts and we prepare for this evening. We pray to you, Lord. We pray to you to have this beautiful silence tonight. To be able to listen to such positive words, to a beautiful life that has truly been a life of a calling, a calling of a very strong, beautiful, powerful woman. We are so blessed, Lord, to have Sister Mary Jo in our midst and to share this positive message in a world that seems so broken down at this time. It is an evening of joy, Lord. We thank you for being able to come together and to hear and to share this witness. Amen. At this time, I invite Sister Mary Jo to come forward, and she will ha have a little message for you, and then we'll begin in song. I just want to say thank you for coming. And uh, it's an opportunity to celebrate my jubilee in a way I never expected, which is to think through and look at the past and just realize what's happened in my life. So thank you for the time. Apparently they can't hear me. Okay, microphone up, talk louder. I'm always hearing that at home. I can't hear you, I can't hear you. <laughs> So is that better? Okay, good. It's just a thank you to um, for you to come uh, and um, for me to to take the time to just think through. I probably would not have done it in such detail if we just had an ordinary celebration on a Sunday and that was it. So this has been a good um, journey for me. Okay, well, we're going to begin with "Holy is Your Name." which is on the one side of your sheet. If you have a book, it's number 102. My soul is filled with joy As I sing to God my Savior You have looked upon your servant You have visited your people And holy is your name Through all generations Everlasting is your mercy to the people you have chosen, and holy is your name. I am lowly as a child. 
blessed and holy is your name Everlasting is your mercy to the people you have chosen, and holy is your name. In your love you now fulfill what you promised to your people. I will praise you, Lord, my Savior. Everlasting is your mercy, and holy is your name. Through all generations, everlasting is your mercy to the people you have chosen. And holy is your name. Ever since I first heard this song, it's been one of my favorites. I do not have a devotion of praying to Mary, but rather she speaks to me as a woman who was in tune to God in her life. Sometime in the 1980s, I made a directed charismatic retreat for one week. There was a general conference in the morning, a personal meeting with a director, mass, and the rest of the day was in silence. The direction that particular day was to sit with Mary at an imaginary table and ask her what she would say to you. I actually got some answers. What came to me were three things. She said, I couldn't plan what happened to me. It had nothing to do with what I did. I just needed to trust God and accept. Second thing, when I looked at Jesus, he was so ordinary. It was hard to believe he was anyone other than another human being. And third, what happened to Jesus was so terrible, but it was so right. God's healing has worked through many painful experiences. This all happened shortly after I had left my former structured religious community, which was the Franciscan Sisters of Christian Charity in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. I found it very helpful for two reasons. First, there was no religious community at that time which I felt comfortable joining. I had to trust God, trust myself that I would recognize where I belonged. And secondly, I'm basically a more shy person, so this was a little bit scary for me. So. Why did I leave the religious community I had entered and been trained with? To make a long story short, I wasn't happy anymore. I entered the high school academy run by the Franciscan Sisters of Christian Charity as a freshman in 1955. 
We were known as aspirants because we were aspiring to become sisters. As seniors in high school, we were postulants, formerly asking to become sisters in the Manitowoc Franciscan community. There were 33 in our class. It was exciting learning to pray the office, wondering what our names would be, how we would look in the sisters' habit, what our daily life would be like, and so on. At that time, the idea of religious life was that you left your family and the world. Part of signifying this was that you received a new name and did not use your family name at all. You could suggest three choices. You might get one, or you might get an entirely different one. I received the name Sister Carmel. It was my first choice, and I was happy. After a year of the novitiate, which is an intense study of spirituality, in this case Franciscan, because it was a Franciscan community, learning the history of the community, the inner workings of the community, the daily schedule called the Horarium, and daily prayers and religious decorum, we took our first vows and were known as Junior Sisters. This was on August 15, 1960. That was 60 years ago. I was 19 years old. <clears throat> College education at Silver Lake College of the Holy Family in Manitowoc, Wisconsin followed. Excuse me. <clears throat> The general trend at that time was to get two years of college in before being sent out to teach. That was known as going out on mission. I want to say that it was an excellent education, and I will forever be grateful to the Manitowoc Franciscans for such a good foundation. I was in the music field and being trained at that time to give private music lessons. When I was sent to my first mission, which was Ironwood, Michigan, I realized that I was not happy in the situation. I felt much too isolated from the other sisters who were all classroom teachers. So I requested permission to switch to classroom teaching. That put a little crimp in my education track, but so be it. The community was very understanding, and though it took a long time during the summers to obtain a degree, I did manage to do so. In fact, I ended up with two degrees, bachelor's in science and bachelor's in music. An interesting feature of this situation is that because I had a music background, teachers of other grades would ask if I would teach their music. Since I was a full-time classroom teacher, that person needed to cover one of my classroom subjects. Through the years, I was assigned to teach elementary grades three through seven. The first class I always bartered away was science. I did not have a good science background and felt very incompetent teaching that subject. In the meantime, one of our sisters, 
Mr. Lorna Zemke, who, by the way, is from Oshkosh, Sacred Heart Parish, introduced at college a classroom method of teaching music called the Kodai Method. It really intrigued me. One uses the folk songs of the country you're teaching in, starting with simple children's game songs, playing the games, helping the children to feel the beat, show how it looks, get them to recognize when they hear it, how to write it down, and how to recognize when they see it. It builds from simple to complex. I used that method and taught classroom music full-time for about 18 years. My last 10 years were spent as director of music and worship at what was then Holy Name Parish in Kimberley, Wisconsin. That's the professional dealings. Spiritually, in the early 1960s, Vatican II was going on. What an exciting, freeing experience to think that God was really with us, that we could be friendly in church, actually pray in our language. To appreciate what that meant to me, you need to know that I was brought up before Vatican II. When one stepped inside a Catholic church, and by the way, you did not step inside any other denomination's churches, it was strict silence, the liturgical prayers of the Mass were in Latin, and no other instrument was allowed in church except the organ. One only knew what place in the Mass we were if you had a missal with English translation in the column next to the Latin. More than once on a weekend, I witnessed people going up for communion at the consecration because the bells rang then, and they also rang at communion time. I'm the oldest of seven children, born in 1941. My three brothers, three brothers, three sisters, and I were brought up with all the religious rules of the culture and the time. Mom was German Catholic, and she took her duty seriously. We attended St. Joseph's Catholic grade school in Green Bay, beginning every morning with Mass. Any devotions and liturgical services we participated in as far as possible. Daily Mass, even on Saturdays and during the summer, stations, 40 hours devotions, monthly confessions, daily family rosary, night prayers, and meal prayers, hearing the lives of the saints, and after the breviary for the laity came out, praying some of the liturgical hours. One of my brother's lines is, if the church was open, we were there. However, all of this did give me an anchor within myself. As mentioned before, I entered the convent as a freshman aspirant in 1955. Those years in high school, postulancy, novitiate, and junior sister were filled with learning, fun, and lots of rule following on my part. I was pretty serious about being a good person, a good sister. Actually, I was close to scrupulous for a while and had myself quite frozen in fear, afraid of doing something wrong. 
particularly in the novitiate. I was constantly trying to measure up to an outside standard of being a religious. Whether the standard was true or not, I don't know, but it was pretty much the way of the day. On my fifth mission, where I was sent to teach, I was able to begin getting some professional help to deal with my self-concept. It was working with the book, I'm Okay, You're Okay. That was a big help in lifting the depression of trying to measure up. Vatican II happened when I was still a junior sister. It was so freeing. The medieval Latin prayers did not have to be listened to, and we could actually pray in church in our own language. It brought the experience of God for me much closer to home. Since I was a musician, I was very involved in the music and why we were doing all these changes. Now, I realized that there were people who had an extremely hard time with the changes, but I loved them. It made sense to me, after all the years of Latin, to speak in my language. Plus, the structure of the Mass made more sense after the last gospel was dropped and the priest faced all of us. I worked hard helping to instruct the children in school in the meaning of the Mass and helping them participate. However, I was still pretty uptight trying to get it right. After what was probably my most difficult year, the year in Woodsfield, Ohio, I was accepted into the northern region of the community in Escanaba, Michigan. The charismatic renewal was strong there. One of the sisters with whom I lived was involved. I always admired how free she was to be herself, to celebrate, to do what she believed was the right thing. She invited me to the prayer meetings, which I was hesitant to attend, wanting just to be, to forget the rest of the world for a while and just attend to my classroom. I did attend some of the prayer meetings, and I did join the Life in the Spirit Seminar, which is the introduction to becoming part of the Charismatic Renewal. At the end of the seminar is the meeting where the members pray over a person for the release of the Spirit in one's life. Well, I did not want to do it. My excuse was, what if nothing happens? Then, what little faith I had at that point would be completely gone. One of the ladies quoted the scripture where Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, I will give you. What could I say? Did I believe Jesus or not? So I went and sat on the chair in the middle of the group, and they all prayed. <clears throat> then they all stopped and my turn was finished. Nothing happened, though I thought. However, the next weeks, Scripture seemed to come alive for me. God did exist. I knew it. I could tell. I felt much freer to be myself, did not worry so much about keeping the rules or looking like the good religious. Something had happened inside. 
in the, in the meantime, there was a group of sisters within the Manitowoc Franciscan community who were advocating for some changes in the rules within the community. It took some inner strength on my part to be part of it, yet it was freeing. I was faithful to prayer, and I think that's where the strength came from and the peacefulness about it. Even though I was somewhat of a rule follower and wanting to appear right so that I would be accepted, a journaling method helped me also at that time, trying to come to terms with what was inside, how this was actually being faithful to my call. A diocesan support group was a lifesaver for me. <clears throat> this diocesan support group was a gathering of about 12 sisters, facilitated by Father Roman Vaness, a Norbertine priest who was a psychologist. We met once a month at what had been the convent for St. Willibrod's Parish in Green Bay, since one of the sisters lived there. We began with a potluck, after which was prayer and sharing. Father Van Ness had us start with a state of the, of the union, in which we each took a turn to express what was going on in our lives that month. Then he'd give us a chance for anyone to claim time that evening. He had many techniques. The one he chose was always amazingly appropriate for the person being worked with. By the time I was confident enough to claim one of those evenings for myself, I had come to the conclusion, through discernment and prayer, that if I was to continue to mature and grow spiritually, I needed to leave the Franciscan community and step out in another direction. I haven't mentioned yet that two of my blood sisters are members of the Franciscan community I was contemplating leaving. I did share with each of them individually about my decision. They were both supportive, glad I had finally made a decision. But I still had the rest of the family to inform how to do it, what to say. That was the help I wanted that evening in the support group. My mother and dad's birthdays were the 18th and 19th of March, and the family would be gathering that weekend to celebrate. So the technique Father Van Ness used when I claimed time that evening was that we would set up the situation as if this was my family gathering. I would say my decision, and the rest of the members of the support group would act as my family and shoot questions at me about this decision. They did this really well. By the time we finished that evening, I felt quite confident that I could explain to my family why I made the decision I did and feel good about it. The weekend finally arrived for me to tell the family. When I actually did manage to make my big announcement, there was dead silence. Nobody said a word at first. Then my sister-in-law said, All right, Mary Jo. 
I don't remember anyone else making any kind of comment until later when we were playing cards. One of my brothers said to me, you got a lot of guts, Mary Jo. I was 40 years old at the time. Actually, leaving the Manitowoc Franciscan community was very freeing for me. Not in my ministry, because I continued doing what I had been trained for, teaching music. The freedom for me was in not having to wear the habit, but in having people accept me for who I am, not for what I was wearing. No one watching to see if I was doing things right. Not having to ask for every little thing. In my mind, it seemed that had to be done. And I wasn't lonely. It was okay to live with, share with, and grow with a friend. It was a great grace to know in my depths that something that made me happy was okay. Maybe I was okay. I want to say here again that I am eternally grateful to the Manitowoc Franciscans for the solid foundation in religious life, for the excellent education, for the many fun times together, and the growth opportunities. At that point in my life and maturity, I was being called somewhere else. I just didn't know where yet. It was a two-edged sword to make my own decisions. A real growth process. I had never actually had the opportunity in my daily life. We grew up poor. My parents were very loving, but also authoritarian. I was shy. I asked if I could go somewhere or do something, etc. My letters were opened, just like they were when I entered the convent. So this was all freeing, but scary. Living with Sister Mary took the edge off of it. It was such a blessing that the bishop of our Green Bay Diocese at that time was Bishop Aloysius Y. Cislo, who had been one of the council fathers at Vatican II. He was very understanding and supportive of the struggles of several of us to remain religious, but without the structures which came from a medieval day and age. After checking with several of us as to whether he could be of help and if we were interested in initiating a new group, he set up a meeting. We had ample opportunity to dialogue with him about the situation. Different small groups of us had been meeting for prayer, support, and discussion on living the vowed life outside a traditional community. One group went to a Jesuit retreat center in Warnersville, Pennsylvania, and another went to meet with a new group, Sisters of the Living Word in Chicago. Reaching consensus, making decisions, and moving ahead were difficult. Eventually, Bishop Wysislo asked the members for a community name. After several more meetings seeking a common vision, a group gathered on March 12, 1982. After a period of prayer and discernment, they discussed their ideas regarding religious life and a vision for this group. All comments were recorded and creative ideas surfaced. 
There was an article from the magazine Sisters Today which talked about new forms of religious life, referring to them as a new genesis for religious women today. March 12, 1982 is considered the founding date for our group because it is the day on which the vision, the mission statement, and the name A New Genesis were conceived. We were established and accepted into the Church by Bishop Y. Sislo as a pious union in 1983. We are self-supporting and non-residential, meaning we do not have a mother house, and we find our own ministries and living situations. Due to changes in canon law, Bishop Ricken, on December 3, 2018, established a new Genesis community as a public association of the faithful. Our official title is A New Genesis Community and our initials are A-N-G. We are continually evolving. We have re-examined our categories of membership, which used to be sisters and associates. With a new appreciation of the universal call to holiness received at baptism, and a desire to be discipleship of equals, we agreed by consensus to change our membership from that of Sisters and Associates to that of Sisters, Married Persons, and Single Persons. We began with a song, and before I end tonight, I would like us to do a couple of verses of another song. After all, this is Choir Connections. And it is uh, Jerusalem, My Destiny, verses 1 and 2. And if you have the books, it's number 492. Otherwise, you have it on the other side of the sheet of paper. I have fixed my eyes on your set our hearts for the way. This journey is our destiny. Let no one walk alone. The journey makes us one. Other spirits, lesser gods, have courted me with Let no one walk. 
Different parts of that song speak to me every time we sing it. <clears throat> Here among you I have found. I never thought of living in Oshkosh. It was always a little sign on Highway 41 as we zipped by. It was March of 2004 when I came home from work one day and Sister Mary told me she had put a hold on a condo in Oshkosh. We had been looking for a place to purchase in the Appleton area, but weren't finding anything that suited us. She had been to lunch that day with a friend who shared with her about the availability of condos in Oshkosh. I was still working in Kimberley and not real convinced about it. That week I came down here five times. We had one week to decide. Gradually, I could see how it might work out. Obviously, we did move here, and I love it. Then after I retired in 2005, we spent about a year church shopping here in Oshkosh. We both agreed that St. Raphael's fed us spiritually, so this became our parish home. We have made so many good friends here, it is truly our parish family. I love it here with all of you. Our holy, mysterious, loving God beckons in unexpected ways every day. I see that now as I have this opportunity to look back over some of the major happenings of my life. One more completely unexpected call has been to become more involved in social justice. So much is unfolding before us. Our whole understanding of the universe is growing as science advances and we all evolve. Our understanding of God is growing as God reveals God's self. If we take time to listen, pray, study, and learn. St. Thomas Aquinas said, quote, A mistake in our understanding of creation will necessarily cause a mistake in our understanding of God. End quote. Let's pay attention. Thanks for listening, everyone.